This is the EdTech Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. sitting there with a pen and paper. Virtual reality is an interesting medium where students can access a wide range of content. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the EdTech Podcast brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. If your school has the funding, the expectation has probably been set that technology is going to be a standard in the classroom. It's pretty impossible to avoid. Students are bringing the tech to the classroom themselves, whether it's an iPad or a smartphone. So if we can't avoid the technology, educators have to find ways to integrate it effectively. If we can't beat them, join them. Today, we're unpacking the truths behind blended learning, what works and what doesn't, why it can be useful, and how to implement it in a focused way. I'd like to welcome two guests from Dallas-based iStation, a leading provider of animated game-like edtech. I'd like to welcome Julie Kalinowski, Customer Success Team Special Projects Lead, and Julie Robinson, Bilingual Professional Development Specialist for iStation's Customer Success Team. Julie 1, Julie 2, welcome to the podcast. How are you both doing? Fabulous. Thank you. We're excited to be here. Yeah, we're really excited to have you on. Um, I'm just going to start calling you the Julies. Perfect. Perfect. Julie squared. Worse. The Julie squared. <laughs> Either works. You know, Jewel. You know, you you shine. You glisten. Shine bright like a diamond. Yeah. Exactly. Love it. Okay. So before we dig into the specifics, uh, I noticed you've both specialized your careers and your time at iStation in bilingual education, which is great. Um, just as a tangent, have you all seen technology in the classroom become really useful specifically for bilingual education? Definitely. I, I would say so, just because there is, you know, with with having to differentiate instruction um, for all kids, and we have a lot of these kiddos coming in that um, come from backgrounds that, um, you know, Spanish is their, is their native language. Um, and ESL, so having basically. ESL mm-hmm. students or mm-hmm. ELL students, uh, essentially. But I think technology, especially if you don't have a, an educator that speaks Spanish um, or even another language, technology has been helpful in helping those kids kind of transition to English if that's the model they're looking for. So I, I would say that technology has been super beneficial for those kids. I definitely agree with that. And one of the things that my admin used to say was, you know, the technology is the one thing that's going to level the playing field for all of our students. And I think that that's where that really plays in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's where we've seen technology become most useful is when it can even the odds for everyone and it can make personalized instruction doable, capable, mm-hmm. accessible, really. Um, that's the goal for every teacher. So yeah, just wanted to hear on that because, I mean, I know uh, when I was going through my bilingual education, uh, by the way, my mom is from Colombia, so I grew up speaking Spanish. Okay. Yeah. Bueno. Yo conozco español, entonces. Nosotros también. Excelente. Ojalá fuera so, en español yeah. el podcast. Eh? Sorry, everyone. This podcast is going to be from Spanish moving forward. So <laughs> <laughs> we're we're isolating our audience. No, but, um, but yeah, we're going to have to bring you all back for a little Spanish content. Uh, but I know yes. when I was going through my bilingual education, there wasn't really a lot of tech infused in the classroom. And I know that especially when you get into foreign language education, like the the differences in knowledge can be very stark. I mean, you might have some people like me that are in the class that already know their way around the language and just want to perfect their vocabulary. And you have people that have 
you know, can say blue house in Spanish and that's about it, right? And you're having to approach them from the same direction. So it's cool when you see technology be able to kind of bridge that gap. Uh, and I think, I mean, I think that's what blended learning does too. Yeah. And yeah. I will get into it more as, as you dive deeper. But um, instead of that one, one size fits all approach, it really is about personalizing instruction. Like you said, it's just going to be a way to, to kind of connect dots for students in different ways. Yeah. So let's do that now. Let's unpack this idea of blended learning. So would you agree there's kind of no other choice now but to standardize blended learning based on how we're seeing today's students learn and interact with tech in their normal lives? I would say yeah, I agree is with that. that. Is, that a, is that a bold statement? or? It's a bold statement, but it's a true statement. Yeah, yeah. So um, I I think bringing the technology in, that's just our kids that come in now are technology natives. And we say that all of the time, but they are. That's what they do. They come out of the womb basically swiping. So, right. I mean, that said, they're they're going to learn best from what they're most familiar with. And if we can do that through technology and integrate what I'm doing in the front of the classroom, it's not taking the teacher out of the classroom or out of the picture at all. Right. It's adding that teacher into what the t student is already doing at home. Right. And so why not take advantage of that in the classroom as well? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I would agree with you, Julie. Um, you know, and to me, the nice thing about blended learning is, and I mentioned this earlier, was really differentiating instruction and personalizing instruction. Um, it's a way to do that. It's a way to hone in on a student's strengths, um, to really target students' weaknesses and let them go at their own pace. Um, and that's important because a teacher trying to instruct or, you know, be the, the sole person for 25, 30 kids yeah. is just, it's, it's a lot um, for one person to do. And, and if we are called to differentiate instruction for all, mm -hmm. um, this is a great way to, to do that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, a teacher's, I think, whole goal is to reach each student equally. And I think without technology, trying to personalize education becomes really just having to roll the dice a little bit and spend individual time with each student, hoping that you can identify, okay, what is their need here? How can we restructure, you know, each lesson to where I can hit this student with this, but also this student with that. Now when you've got technology and assessments that can help read some of that information faster, you don't have to spend the time trying to assess that information. Instead, the information's given to you quickly. Now you can move forward with how do I personalize like the solution, not the assessment. You know, like I think I think that is where I'm seeing at least a lot of powerful um, personalization with technology in the classroom. I agree. I agree. And I think that a lot of that goes into like the, when you're able to give the child a pathway for learning through technology, yeah. I think that's super helpful for the student. And they're then not at the same levels necessarily. They're all working at their own level. And that is part of that personalization piece. Yeah. And I think there can also be, unfortunately, though, like a fear when you make technology such a focus in the classroom that it might like restructure the classroom or how we approach curriculum in a way that might frighten teachers that have been doing this for a really long time. And, you know, they've they've done their job a certain way and gotten like pretty positive results. They're like, OK, all this technology kind of scares me. What mm -hmm. would you say to that crowd about the importance of blended learning or, you know, why you stand for blended learning? 
you know, I, I'd go back to to Julie's point earlier about kids, you know, being natives in technology. And so I understand from the teacher's perspective um, that it can be a challenge. And I think the nice thing about blended learning, um, there's various different models that can be implemented. Um, and I think that it's important that first there's consensus at the building level. Um, there is accountability set, you know, there's that accountability up front. Um, and then with the the fact that there are so many different models of how to integrate it, that you could start, you know, kind of on a smaller level mm -hmm. and do something like the rotation model, um, just one piece of, of what you're doing instead of going full-blown blended learning. I mean, there's, there's various ways to do it. But I think, again, starting small, um, coming to a consensus with with the rest of your your staff and and the educators there, I think that's important, um, and just professional development for those teachers too is letting them know that it's not as scary as they think it is, and showing them the benefits. I think if you go in and show them how the data that you get back, um, how it can personalize instruction, how it can in increase student in interest, how it can actually um, allow students to take ownership of their learning and get that the results you want essentially for students to grow and be successful. Um, I think those are all beautiful things that can come about from, from introducing and integrating technology into, into the classroom. I'd say one of the biggest keys for us was going small. So yeah, taking those bite-sized pieces and just trying everything. Don't be afraid to try and don't be afraid to fail because that failure is a learning opportunity. And ask the kids for feedback. Hey, what does, was this good? Did this work for you? Mm -hmm. Did this not work for you? Are you learning from this? And still having that big idea of where we want to get to as a blended learning classroom, but starting small. Let's not try to integrate everything at once because there's so much out there that that can be... Um, very overwhelming, and it can be very intimidating, especially for someone who's not very tech savvy. Mm -hmm. So going one small piece at a time and starting to implement those pieces and doing it well, I think that would be key. And I'm glad you brought up student feedback because um, I think blended learning is just a great way to re-engage the student in their own education um, in a way that I think could be a breath of fresh air for the teacher that feels like they maybe don't understand like the tech needs of the student. So, you know, kind of opening it up to them a little bit to give that feedback of like, hey, I actually really enjoyed this lesson because I already play games like this on my iPad or whatever. That's important to hear and could really make like your next lesson that much simpler and remove a lot of that frustration of like, am I reaching my kids? Is the technology working? Like, Or even just breaking down your own barrier of like, this doesn't seem beneficial to me. It's like a game on an iPad. But like hearing it from the student, I think, can break down that wall. Absolutely. I, one of the things that one of our teachers did at our school, so we were working on really integrating blended learning at our school as I was transitioning out. Mm -hmm. um, one of my teachers did a really good job of making like a playlist so that it was a rotation, hmm. but it was an individualized rotation. So she made a playlist. And by the end of the week, the student had to get through the playlist, but they had that um, they had that student choice so they could go and they could do it in whatever order they wanted to as long as they were getting the learning that they needed. And not everybody's list was going to be the same because of the different needs. So when we talked about differentiation earlier, what Julie was saying is, okay, these kids are not going to necessarily need the same things. Mm -hmm. But even when they get to that technology piece, 
if they're doing something that is a personalized playlist, they're still getting something a little bit different. And then the teacher's going in and using that data to then inform what they do as far as the group instruction right. or the individual small group instruction, just depending on what the model looks like. Right. So let's break down some of those models. Um, we've been talking here a little bit about blended learning, but I think we need to define what blended learning can even look like in the classroom. So what are some different methods uh, or versions that you've seen work um, and what does each offer, you know, each style of blended learning in the classroom? Um, the rotation model really is more, it's to me, it is the getting, easing into it, mm -hmm. the blended learning approach. Um, and I like it because I think most educators are already comfortable, especially elementary educators, are very comfortable with uh, small group instruction. And so the rotation model really offers that technology piece as one of the stations that students rotate through. Um, and for the company we work for, specifically for iStation, uh, we integrate really well with that specific model. Um, <clears throat> the other models could be the flex model, um, the flip classroom, technically. There's, yeah, there's a la carte. And a lot of these, they're, they're all very useful in their own right for depending on the audience that you're looking at. So an a la carte type would be a student that maybe needed AP classes. And so they want to get individual classes. Okay. Um, with the company that we work for. So we play really well into that rotation model and a, the flipped classroom is something that we can do with our product because we jump in and we can assign students a certain piece and then bring that back and have uh, have that integrated into whatever I'm teaching as the class. Sure. What about from just a literal uh tech perspective, what are some ways that you see the technology become integrated into the classroom? Does it, is it something where they encourage BYOD kind of stuff where a student maybe checks out uh, a laptop at the beginning of the year and they have it all year? Is it more like, uh, you know, a cart of iPads per class? Or I guess, how are you seeing most people use tech? So yeah, a lot of districts have moved to a one-to-one -one, and that's great because then the students are able to do what they need with their device and they can then take it home if they are allowed to sign it out. And that way they can pick their space wherever they want to work on their instruction. And that works really well. That's part of blended learning is either doing it in your own space or during your own time um, or choosing what you want to use your technology for. Now, I've, in our school, we had a lab. We had some classes that had one-to-one. -one. We had some that had the cart on wheels or the cow where we would check that out and it would move around from classroom to classroom. And all of those worked well. Um, and it depends on how the teacher is setting up their classroom. So if I wanted to do a rotation lab experience, they would do the rotation and a lot of hands-on stuff within our classroom. And then one group would rotate into the lab and rotate back. And that works well if you have enough computers in the lab or if you're really good at setting up your schedules with as a school. The carts work really well just because the all, all of the kids have access, or at least half of the class can have access to one of those laptops, and that would work in the classroom rotation. So if I were doing a rotation in my classroom, that would work really well, or even the individualized rotation. So we've seen everything yeah. from just a couple of computers in the room to everybody having one-on-one -on -one devices, but yeah. it's just a bigger thing now. I mean, I, I think at the core of it is just accessibility to the technology, right? So Absolutely. Whatever works for that district, whether it is one-to-one -one or whether it's more of like a lab 
feel where you kind of like cycle out of the computer lab. I think it's just important to get these students um, access to this technology because something I've realized is that so many skills in today's workforce are changing to be tech focused. And if, I mean, not every student has a smartphone or has an iPad at home. I mean, you know, we deal with kids from all sort of economic backgrounds. Mm -hmm. So they may not have the luxury of having a one-to-one device ratio in their own house. So being able to provide that at school, um, though I remember when I was in high school and like I graduated out and then I learned, oh, the freshman class next year, they're all going to get MacBooks. I was like, are you kidding me? I wanted a MacBook. Um, But like when you actually step back and think about it, it's like, oh, that's not just like oh, we're privileged, we get MacBooks. It's like, no, we're getting students access to this technology in a space where they can learn to use it in many ways, in productive ways, and then integrate that into, like, their potential career. So they get to take those home? They did, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think, and okay, so speaking to that, I think that that's key that it's something that we don't necessarily think about if students don't have access to internet at home. We need we what we can do as educators mm-hmm. is go and look at okay where are the hotspot areas where can they access Wi-Fi oh yeah. is there a McDonald's is there a library is there and letting them know and letting their parents know and having that communication so they don't just say oh well I don't have access I couldn't do that yeah and giving them that opportunity and setting them up for success that way I think it's pretty important. Well, it's cool to think of this concept of blended learning ends up becoming like blending the learning with technology in the classroom, but it almost like in another sense, blends the the educator like more with the personal life and like outside of the classroom than other, I don't know, forms of curriculum. Like, you really blend in many ways. Right. It's know? kind of yeah. the bridging the gap yeah. between home and school. And that's that's so important. Um, but like Julie said, as far as an equity, from an equity standpoint, um, we can't guarantee that kids have access. And even if they are provided with um, different areas to to you know, go to a McDonald's or to a library doesn't necessarily mean that they have the means to get there. Sure. And so then that's where it becomes really important in the classroom to make it as effective as possible. And just integrating technology into the classroom doesn't mean that it's, you know, yeah. just, just integrating the the actual technology. There has to be a focus behind it. There has to be it has to be data driven. Yeah. I'm, and it, I'm, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because my next question was, what does inefficient blended learning look like you know like when people try to do it and it doesn't work what are the typical pitfalls that caused that i I think i think there are vital factors when you're looking at a successful program um and a couple of those things are you need something that's going to be able to capture data and um like you had mentioned earlier too is without data we will never understand what the strengths and weaknesses are of a student and therefore then just you know just having them receive instruction not based on their needs is just it's it's pointless um and so data really to me is at the heart of a of a successful blended learning program because then we can differentiate and then the teacher will know what the issue is with a student or if they need to soar they can soar if they need to you know go back and work on some of those foundational skills they can work on those things and so data is an important piece um, of a successful program the second part of that would be you need something that's going to really hone in um, on the separate and individual ability levels of every child and so if it's not a one-size-fits-all we need to have something that's going to adapt to their ability and be able to help them grow and then like Julie was mentioning earlier too, is blended learning, the goal is not to take the teacher out of the classroom. Mm-hmm. It's to effectively 
integrate them back into the classroom. Right. And so um, having something that's going to provide the teacher with next steps is going to be super crucial as well, just because we need to make sure that they have the tools necessary to make sure that that the instructional strategies that they're using, whether it be on one-on-one or whole group, um, or even when the kids are on, they need to understand what those kiddos need. And then resources for, for the educators, for the students um, are going to be crucial as well. But I think going back to it, I think data is really what's going to drive an effective program. It's going to really be based on the assessment that students are taking, because if we don't have data driving that, it's a waste of time for students to take an assessment in my opinion, it's just, sure. it's, it's a waste. So, I mean, do you even see any blended learning programs out there that don't put an emphasis on data? Well, that's the thing is that there's a difference between the blended learning yeah. and there's a difference between having a technology-rich classroom. Uh, and okay. a lot of people sure. have a technology-rich classroom and they think they have blended learning. And it's not because they haven't integrated what the student is doing with a purpose. Right, with a core vision exactly. for the curriculum. Yeah, that makes sense. So when blended learning is implemented effectively and efficiently, uh, I know companies like iStation claim that schools become more productive, more user-friendly, and like you said, they focus more on data. So we kind of unpacked a little bit of the data, but in those other two senses, in that just schools in general become more productive and more user-friendly, how do you see blended learning accomplishing those two things? I would say it, it definitely helps as an educator to be more efficient and effective in the classroom because, well, A, because you have the data, but I'm not having to spend as much one-on-one -on -one time with my students to figure out where they're at. Right. And I can use it then to, if I wanted to do something, like I mentioned a flipped classroom earlier, if I wanted to give them something to read and then come back to it and say, okay, now we're going to add on to that and look at that. It saves us the time of having to read a whole group in the classroom and then do it. they're reading it on their own and then coming back and then we're doing something different. Yeah. So I think there, it definitely helps out with efficiency. I think user, user being user friendly really is more on the back end. Um, if something's super cumbersome for a teacher to access, then they're not going to want to get in. They're not going to want to have to dig through data and reports. Give me to be a able tool. To Don't yes. give me something that's like a burden. And so we we uh, we at iStation talk about our portal, our reporting portal, and, and even the program being user friendly for kids, but also user friendly for teachers, because we want to give them actionable data. Yeah, something that's going to give them immediate access to make a big impact on student performance. And I think even bigger on a bigger scale than that is the admin. The admin go in and they can they have those same type of reports and as if you asked about the school, how does that help a school? Well, if I'm an admin or an administrator and I'm looking at my data as a school, I can tell where the, you know, where we need to get more professional development. I can tell where we need to work more. What is our school struggling with as a whole and now I can make our our school plan and go, wow, we're struggling in vocabulary. So that's going to be our plan for next, you know, the next three months and just start to make that vision using what they have. So that's, it's very user friendly in that way as well. Yeah. Uh, we're going to transition over to that. I'm glad you brought that up because I think for the individual educator, um, the influx of technology if not done right, can be off-putting to that grander vision. You know, you can kind of get lost behind the technology. So how should educators focus on maintaining goal setting with so many platforms and objectives that continue to get more personalized per student? Um, and feel free to give some context or examples of how you've seen uh, technology really help in that back end, like you were just saying. Um, I, you know, I had mentioned at the, the beginning 
some of the key benefits yeah. of blended learning. Um, one, it, it increases student interest, right? That's the world we live in, technology. Um, but I think more importantly is it allows um, students to take ownership of their learning and it allows them to, to have um, – self-efficacy you know it, it lends to that and so to me by letting them get involved in their learning by letting them get involved in their data and setting their own goals then that really does increase not only their interest but it also increases their performance um, there's there's research out there that talks about how by allowing a student to get involved in understanding what they're learning about, why they're learning about something, and then setting measurable goals um, for themselves individually, that that can increase student performance um, by, in, in education, we would understand percentile ranks, but um, that could increase a student's percentile growth um, by 30 percentile points in a year. And that's a huge, huge chunk and so it's, it, it is important that they that they set the goals, that they get involved in, in that. I completely agree. And I think that it's really important to start at that level. And then also you have the goal setting just across my grade level. Let's do some goal setting. Across our campus, let's do some goal setting. And when yeah. we start to goal set like that, then we end up wanting to help each other because we're doing a group goal. How How much growth can we get? as a campus, and that's going to benefit all of our students in the end. And I guess when you have focused data you know you're going to get, it's easier to know, all right, we're already reading these variables. We know we're going to be assessing, you know, uh, reading capabilities in X grade or, you know, literacy in this grade or whatever. There's a lot of, like, profound data you can get out of this. So with that in mind, it makes those larger goal-setting initiatives, I think, easier because you already know what you're looking for. Right. And I think it also takes out ego and personality sure. um, conflicts. I think if you go in knowing that you you have the goalposts in sight and you're all striving towards reaching that goal, um, whether it be at a district level or at a campus level or a classroom level or individual student level, using that data is going to let you know where you're going yeah. versus just saying, well, I feel, you know, that this is an issue or people getting hurt because maybe, you know, their classroom's not performing as well as, as another classroom at that grade level. If we have data and we can use that to drive what we do in all decision-making, then that to me is... It's, well, and you've seen that, like we've seen that one of our colleagues who actually did one of the um, podcasts recently, Deanne, at their school, they set goals and they started to work toward those goals as a campus. And she just has a phenomenal story. If you haven't heard that podcast, you might want to go back and check it out. Um, <laughs> anyway. Subtle plug. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, but she did. They did an amazing job and they all worked together and they accomplished their goals, which right. was phenomenal. So I, I think it's. And I think for any deal, any program that you want to implement successfully, whether it be blended learning or, or various different things going on, um, you need to shift the mindset. Yeah. You know, you have to have that growth mindset in place and you really have to focus your energy on doing what's best for the kids. Um, and most educators, you know, we're we're in education um, for the same reasons. We're in education for, for the money. Yeah. I'm kidding. Amen. Yeah, yeah, we're in education oh, wait, 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 wait. Um, for to see our students grow and succeed um, and have an equal opportunity, you know. Um, okay. So that was a great answer. That was awesome. 
now I want to focus on the way students learn because um, I think this is another way that blended learning can really succeed in the classroom is that it's flexible and it can identify some of the differences in the way students learn. Um, so I know this has always been a challenge for educators is finding ways to personalize learning for your left brain students versus your right brain students, your analytical students, your emotionally like developed students, all simultaneously, right? So in what ways have you seen blended learning adapt to serve the needs of each of those different learners? So your analytical, logical, holistic, emotional learners. All kids are going to learn regardless of what setting they're in. Mm -hmm. That's we as people, we as humans, we learn regardless of what setting we can learn. Now, some of them might tend to learn differently if they're playing the game and having fun with it. Some kids might be more creative. And if they're going through a different rotation, maybe they have the manipulatives on the table. And so they're working with those manipulatives and they learn that way. Some kids might be more visually stimulated and that would be on the great the technology leads to that what a teacher is doing leads to that if they're doing any kind of acting something out that leads to that so there's different ways to learn and depending on how your rotations are set up that could definitely be helpful for students who learn in different ways if i'm if i learn more by writing then one of those rotation stations could include something of that nature as well we had a great time because, like I said, when I was leaving, we were transitioning into a very personalized learning atmosphere. And so one of my teachers, I loved going into her classroom because her students in their technology rotation, she would let them take the laptop wherever they wanted to. So if they wanted to sit under the table, they could sit under the table, sit on the carpet. Some of them just wanted to sit at the table and do it just like they would be reading a book. So different students were allowed to pick their space, and that's part of blended learning, and wherever they wanted to go and do that, they were allowed to. I love that. Yeah. I know I like reading my books in like the little cubby nook space with the teddy bears Absolutely. and everything. Absolutely. That was fun. Me too. I still do. Yeah? Hey, hey same. teddy bear. Now. A little stuffed Snoopy, maybe. Might be sitting on my bed. Unicorn. Might not be sitting on my bed. I Who mean, knows? <laughs> we won't tell anyone. <laughs> okay, so now to actually implement blended learning, this is kind of where I want to wrap up the conversation, is I know iStation has a lot of recommended steps for if you want to bring blended learning into the classroom, here are the main things you need to do. And you should go check them all out on iStation's website, but there are a few that I wanted to break down with you because they pegged me as some of the most important. So one of them was having a support team to help roll out blended learning. What do you mean by having a support team and how does that assist um, in making sure blended learning is actually effective at your school or school district? You know, part of that first, building consensus at that campus level. Um, that's gonna be important. But earlier I had, I had spoken to the point of when you're looking for um, for a certain program or you're looking for something to implement something with, uh, with success and fidelity, um, it, it's all about partnership and I, I feel as though with the iStation specifically, because we work there, um, we do have an incredible support team in place to work with educators. We're, we're partners. We're not uh, just going to sell you a program or give you something and expect you to implement it from the ground up without any support. We have support all the way from the ground up. So we start with, you know, tech support and then we have implementation support and we have professional development and we have engineers working on the background doing things to constantly ensure success um, of that partnership. 
And kind of following up on that, the next one was a proper infrastructure. So how I interpreted that was within your school or school district, having kind of a hierarchy of who is going to assume responsibility for what and how to integrate blended learning from the teacher to the principal and to, you know, the administration at a school district level. Why is having a proper infrastructure important as well to rolling out blended learning? I think it's super important just because you need to have those set expectations. And if we're all on the same page, we can help each other out. My IT person, whoever's in charge of technology, needs to know what's going on. And we all have to be on the same page so that they can help out. I need to know, as an, if I'm in the classroom, I need to know what's expected me from my district personnel or from my campus personnel. Mm-hmm. And then as the campus leaders, we need to be able, we need to take the, um, really take the reins and lead it and share those expectations because that's how I can help my campus. Mm -hmm. And we used to have data meetings, you know, once a month for our program specifically for iStation where we would go over those numbers. And when the teachers knew that we were getting together to talk about that, they knew that they needed to be doing that in their classroom. And I think that that's important with whatever program you're, you're implementing in blended learning, just that it's not just something extra that you do, but you're using it for a purpose. Mm-hmm. And when it's computer adaptive, like, like our program is, I, it makes sure that all of those students aren't doing just the exact same thing. I'm not just a teacher saying, I want you all to go do this one thing. That's not personalized. But it's personalized when they're doing something that adapts to what their needs are. And then we can start to look at that across the campus. I also think proper infrastructure only can really happen when you have the proper training at every level um, and getting everyone, like you said, on the same page. But having them consistently on the same page, which brings me to my third point that I really thought was important that iStation pointed out, which was just ongoing communications, something that... basically you can't have one training session on this or even like three to five, right? You need to have training sessions or meetups or touch points on how is blended learning affecting our vision? Um, You know, what are new methodologies maybe we need to implement in the classroom? That needs to be happening consistently, um, both within the district, both, um, you know, from classroom to classroom. But then also you think like, with the district and companies like iStation, like having that ongoing communication with uh, whoever's helping provide that gamified ed tech. Um, How else have y'all seen this kind of like consistent touch point of communication help keep blended learning blended in the classroom? You know, I think the consistent communication needs to be a part of um, any any classroom, regardless if if it's blended learning or not. But um, specifically with blended learning, it does because it is new to, to a lot of places and, and it's a new way of thinking, a new methodology. And so communication is going to be key um, in communicating with your partner, um, whichever program you, you choose. I, I think one of the big things also with that is just patience because when you start something out and, and you're just beginning something, you have to be patient. Mm-hmm. You have to watch it through and you have to give it a, give it a chance and give it a go. Um, and then once you, st- you really were looking for growth. And so that's, if it's showing growth, then your blended program is working. If it's not showing growth, then you either need to tweak something that you're doing in your program, or you need to choose a different type yeah. of learning. And that, I mean, that, that goes back to the idea of, and, I, and I'm, 
I feel like I'm a soapbox uh, speaking about <laughs> this, but speaking about data um, and assessment, really the purpose of it is to help you drive what you do. Mm-hmm. And if you don't do that, then it's it's a waste. Um, and what I love about what we do at iStation for the kids and for the, for the educators specifically is we – have a lot of touch points going on. We have touch points when students are working through the interactive curriculum. We have touch points every single month when they're taking those um, the screener, the progress monitoring. There's a lot of companies out there that that, that help capture data. Yeah. Um, and what I'll say is, I feel as a we go one step beyond because we do provide those next steps. We do give opportunity for students to constantly be redirected, um, and that's going to be important because. The purpose of data is to help adjust quickly if you need to. And so by touching the students monthly and allowing them to show what they know technically, um, it's going to give a chance for the for the educator to go in and, and adjust what they do. And realistically, how long does it take to see that you're having growth? Or you know, how long does it take before you can look at your data and make any actionable decisions on it? Typically, and... and you know, at least two data points, I would say, that to begin to give you the trend line of growth. Um, and, you know, some some kids are going to have off days. They're going to have off months. But yeah. if you can see that trend line increasing, that's what you want to see. Um, and we do. We see that often. If, if the program is implemented with fidelity um, and classroom instruction is targeted and efficient because again technology is a beautiful thing and that is the direction that we are moving in globally um but we can't lose sight of the fact that the teacher is still a very 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 crucial part to to a student's education is as long as the teacher has the tools blended learning, different technologies being a part of that as long as the educator has the tools and they are effective um, with their instruction and targeted and differentiated, that's where we start to see that growth. Well, Julie, Julie, I feel like we've unpacked a lot about blended learning here. I think there's more we could dive into, but I think we're going to call it for today. We're going to have to bring you back on in Spanish probably next time to do the La segunda parte de la conversación. So thank you again for coming on the podcast and giving us your thoughts on when blended learning is appropriate, why it works, when it doesn't, and how to do it in an efficient and productive way. And I think, like you've both said, it all comes back down to that data. When surprisingly, more personalized learning has a backbone of kind of cold hard numbers. It's when it's the most effective, which is is interesting to see, but I think is intuitive and makes sense. So, Julie, Julie, thank you for joining us. It was a pleasure. Thank Thank you you for having us. And thank you, everyone, for listening to today's episode. And if you like what you heard and want to listen to previous ones, you can head to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. You can also find our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And make sure you leave a rating and a comment wherever you listen to your podcast content. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.